All right, so I have two other announcements for you other than what Corey talked about. The first one is on June 18th, we are doing this thing called FPU. Uh, I know it sounds like something stinks. PU, but it's called Financial Peace University. And if you have never had the opportunity to uh, learn how to make a budget, if you always feel like you never have enough income to cover you know, all your expense and your outlays, and you've never gone through a budgeting course of any type, this is a great one to go through. It's very practical, and I'd encourage it for everybody. My wife and I went through it a few years ago, and I swear every couple of years I'm like, oh man, we should do that again. Oh, we should do that again, because, you know... I feel like I never have enough to cover my expenses, so whatever. So if you like, FEU, June 18th, you can sign up at the Welcome Center. The other thing is if you, took a, if you were here on Mother's Day, uh, we handed out these baby bottles that help support CareNet in town. If you took one, CareNet will be here next week uh, to collect those. So if you would bring those back next week, that would be amazing. <laughs> if you forget to bring them back next week, it's okay. It's not okay, but it's okay. You can just bring it back after that. We'll make sure they get it. But if you took one, please uh, remember to bring that back next week. And I think that's, that's all I got for my little announcements and stuff. So, uh, hey, if you're new to Element, welcome. Uh, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes throughout all the communion tables in the room. They look like, I got one in here. They look like this. And on uh, inside, you'll get some uh, notes to go uh, reflect what we talk about today, some questions to reflect on what we talk about today. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Uh, click on More and then Events, and Uversion will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You will get sermon notes versus questions, announcements, uh, everything that goes along with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? It's Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 13, and it says, Consider the work of God, who can make straight what he has made crooked. Uh, let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would uh, teach us as a people to learn to trust you throughout all of our good and bad days, uh, that we would see you for who you are and as you lead us and what we can learn in all of these circumstances. We ask that we'd be a people who come to a place where all of our lives are about your glory as you bring about the good that you know that we need in our lives. And so teach us to trust you through all things, because again, you are good. Amen. Have a seat. So this is Ecclesiastes week 19. And we have this week and then next week, and then we're taking a break for the summer. Throughout the summer, we're going to do this other series called I Believe in Miracles. Thank you. It's going to be a thing every week, all right? I'm like, you guys got to know what it is, right? Okay, sex thing, but you got to do it like that. Give me like your sex thing, be like, your sex thing. <laughs> anyway, so we're going to do that throughout the summer, and then come back in the fall, and then we're going to finish the book of Ecclesiastes in the fall. Now, Ecclesiastes is part of what is known as the wisdom literature in the scriptures, and it's there to grow us in wisdom. There you go, yeah. So we'd understand our lives and our circumstances and understand that we're to trust God in the midst of all of these things. There's this Old Testament book called Job. In the book of Job, he undergoes all sorts of troubles in his life and failings in those around him. And at one point, his wife looks at him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? Because she was a very encouraging woman. Um, And Job says to her in chapter 2, verse 10, this is the NIV, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? 
And that's really, I think, a great question for us because in following God in our culture today, it's always purported that God is there to give you whatever you want, that God is there to make you feel blessed however you define what blessed is, and that if he doesn't do that in your life, well, that means God must have failed because you made God in your image. And if that God fails you, then God must not be there. People say a lot of times, well, I tried God, and he didn't work. Well, typically that's we're trying God to be like God us, make him like us. Have you ever stopped attending church services or questioned God or gotten lazy about your faith or know somebody else who has done that? A good question to ask through all that is typically why? Because too often we don't see God as being integral to our daily lives because we don't understand the gospel and what that means of Christ's rescue of us and then what he calls us into every part of our life even now. And now I know this to be true because I have heard preachers preach and I've been to seminars and retreats and I keep hearing people say, you need Jesus to forgive your sins so you can go to heaven when you die. And that's totally true. I totally believe that. But if Jesus is of no use until we die, then why would we go to church? Why would we sing songs? Why would we read our Bible? Why would we connect to other people who are as messed up as we are in this place called the church? And at Element, there are a lot of people who are young enough in fairly good health where if that was true, why it is something you should just think about before you die at the end of your life. Like maybe when the next heart palpitation might be your last or you're afraid to go to scary movies, not because you're scared of the movies, but it just might scare you enough that you die right there, right? That's when I'll get serious about God when those things happen. Well, the wisdom literature throughout the scriptures and New Testament books like James and John show that the scriptures are immensely practical, that they are there for every day of our life. Because even when Jesus speaks, he is practical in money, uh, how to treat your spouse. If you don't have one, how to hustle up and, and get one, how to raise your children, how to work your job, how to treat one another uh, with respect in our lives. Because the truth is, we really do need Jesus in the ordinary, average, every day of what Solomon will call life under the sun. The gospel speaks truth to where we are today, and that results in the difference in how we live every single day in our ordinary life. Uh, Following Jesus, I think, in the end, will bring a greater quality of life in terms of meaning and promise, but also in terms of length, because it becomes eternal. It's unending. It goes on forever. Eternity can start today by trusting Jesus and go on forever in His grace. Have you ever heard that question that people ask sometimes? If you die tonight, do you know where you're going? I think it's, fine, it's an okay question, but it's not my favorite question in the world because I really think a lot of times people are like, who cares? Because the question could really be, if you live tomorrow, do you know why you're living? Do you know why it is? Because odds are you will wake up tomorrow. Odds are you're not going to die in your sleep tonight. And if you do wake up, how are we going to live our lives into our tomorrows? And if you do die and you trust Jesus, well, all the better for you. You know, there you go. Jesus helps in life and death. Many times in Ecclesiastes, Solomon will compare uh, people who are foolish. And a lot of people don't like it when we say words like fool. And we say, oh, you can't say that because our culture gets offended really easily with a lot of stuff. I think we can call people foolish in looking at Ecclesiastes for the purpose of growing us into wisdom. You know, God does that. I know, and I'm not God, but that's okay. Uh, If you don't think there's fools in the world... Go with me for a ride in my car for about five minutes. And if we do not find one outside the car, you'll most likely see one inside the car that looks a lot like me. Okay? But wisdom is a lot more than just about driving. Solomon speaks about wisdom being shown by those who are here and they know why they are here. And they're living in ways where they see the world different around them and they trust God in the midst of it. Uh, fool, fools are people that don't know or really don't care. It's like Solomon said last week that a lot of fools, they will just giggle and laugh and go through life like they smoke too much pot and they're not 
not in a place where they actually want to interact with anything around them. They just don't want to learn any life lessons about maturity. A foolish life is one that has lived fighting against God and rebellion against his word and the subsequent quenching of his spirit. If you have a Bible open to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Now what Solomon's going to do is he's going to talk about how our relationship with God really shows this. If we're wise or if we're foolish. Uh, who your friends are will show if you're wise or foolish. How you spend your time or it's going to show if you're wise or foolish. How you spend your money is going to show if you're wise or foolish. Who, who we let influences in our lives is going to show if we're wise or foolish. And so Ecclesiastes is full of wisdom that's meant to be practical for us. Christianity is not meant to be a religion. It's meant to be a life that is lived in relationship with God throughout everything that we go through in our lives, trusting Him, and it's practical for every day. And if you are new or newer to Element, you might ask some questions. I think today might help you to understand better who we are throughout this. So Solomon ended this 13-verse poem we looked at last week with these words. Chapter 7, verse 13. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what He He has made crooked. And so Solomon doesn't say if you live a wise life, you're not, never going to have pain or hardship or struggle or anything like that. But wisdom guarantees that we are a people who know how to walk through those things with God himself, bringing him glory, navigating the whole thing into a deep and abiding joy that trusts him no matter what we go through. Uh, foolish people and wise people, they can have the same circumstances, but wise people are those who will walk through it with Jesus. And part of what Ecclesiastes is trying to do is wake us up from our self-centered myopic world that just focuses on ourselves and makes everything about ourselves and understand that we don't need all the straight lines in our lives. We need to walk with God so he can navigate us through the crookedness that's around us. So Solomon, he'll move on to some keys about wisdom after that poem about how to live our lives in wisdom. Some of these are stated in negatives and some are in positives and we're going to walk through all of this. Chapter 7, verse 14. This is where he goes. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider. God has made one, made the one as well as the other so that man may not find Find out anything that will be after him. Now the NIV, it translates this. The thoughts behind the words is this. When times are good, be happy. This is like, yes, I got that job I really wanted. Or I married the person I love. And it says, but when times are bad, uh, have you seen that job I got? Or have you met my spouse? (laughs) Consider, God has made one as well as the other. It's the idea that we must remember God in our good and bad days or we will always have unhappy, discontented days. Solomon says that people always want to be omniscient and sovereign over their lives and control everything that comes into it, but we can't because we're not omniscient and we are not sovereign. Only God is. We're not in charge. And no matter what in our lives, we will have bad days. I kind of relate this to, I think hopefully something most people can relate to, uh, getting a car for the first time. The first time people get their first car, they're really excited. It's one of the most joyous occasions for a kid in the world. You're like William Wallace on the battlefield saying, I will remember every day from this day forward my freedom. Because you get a car, right? My first car I got when I was 16 years old. It was a 1976 Ford Courier pickup. It had a rag for a gas cap and channel locks to roll down the window, and another rag because the defroster didn't work. If you drove it over 55 miles an hour, it shook like a cheap bed at the Motel 6. Not that I would know, it's just my analogy, so just go with it, okay? Um, But it was all mine. 
It, it was my truck. Now, soon after I got this truck, uh, my friends and I were going out after school, and we're driving out of the school parking lot, and this heater hose that's running into the heater core inside the truck breaks open. And my friends and I, all three of us shoved in this thing. We get rained down with this antifreeze shower. It was terrible. It took me, like, weeks to clean it off the windows. A couple months after that, my friend, I'm letting him sit in my car during first period. He decides he's going to take it out for a joy- joyride. He steals my truck, drives out to Rock Front Ranch on 166 and crashes it into a ditch. I'm like, what? When you get a car, it's like, oh, this is a great day. Every day you own a car. It's not always a good day. It can actually be a bad day. It was, it was a terrible thing. Uh, so a little bit later, uh, I got a second truck. It was a 1986 Toyota, 10 years newer, 10 years nicer as well. And my wife and I, we got married, and I, we, I took this job in Iowa. Don't judge me. Uh, so I took this job in Iowa from California, right? I figured, oh, the Midwest can't be that bad. Ooh, it's bad. So anyway, so, so the day that I'm working, my last day at the job I was working at, which is at this farm, and so I'm driving out to move some sprinkler pipes that morning. I had sold my truck. This guy's coming to pick it up in four hours. As I'm driving out to work, this dog the size of a Yeti comes running out of the ditch, runs in front of me. I bend my bumper and my whole quarter panel. I'm like, ah, every day you get a car. Oh, it's such a great day. Every day you own that car. It's not a great day. I have bought new cars and had problems. I call those Dodges. I have bought... <laughs> I have bought used cars and had problems, and I call those Chevys. Okay? I, I, my wife and I, uh, years ago, we, we bought a classic car, a 64 and a half Mustang. We ended up selling it to help pay for the down payment on the first house that we bought. But I bought that car. My wife was so happy every day, me or my friends and I, we were working on that car because there's always something wrong with it. I, recently, my wife and I uh, just bought another classic car, and I went into it knowing I was going to have to work on it. But I didn't know how much I was going to have to work on it. But it's, it's every day you buy great day. Every day you dry it, it's like, is it going to work? Is it going to go where I want it to go? Could be a bad day. Solomon tells you there are good and bad days. And when days are good, you enjoy them. You worship God in the midst of it. You praise him for all the good things that are there. Uh, I'm driving. My car works. Stick your head out the window just like the dog and learn to enjoy it. But when days are bad and they're not filled with joy, you remember God. And we worship him in the midst of it because God is sovereign over all. It all comes from God's hands. Wise people, and I'm not saying that we're always wise, but wise people are able to enjoy the good times when we will laugh loud, when we can sleep soundly, when we can cheer wildly. But we can never say all the good are from him and all the bad aren't from him. We trust God no matter where we are in whatever circumstance we find ourselves. Solomon says, man may not find out anything that will be after him. This is that we don't know what's really going to happen throughout the course of the world or our lives. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next year, next decade, next millennium. We don't know that. And so we trust God in wisdom because in that we can walk through life trusting Jesus. And there are so many ways people get this wrong today. It's infected our society at large. People, even Christians, what we've started to do now is we develop this hybrid theology of karma and grace. It's, it's where we think good things only happen to good people and and bad things happen to bad people. But if you walk around like that in your life, you will start to judge everybody else around you. Because if you're having good days and things are going well, you're going to start thinking everything you're doing must be right. And anybody who has a bad day, oh, well, what are they doing wrong? It must all be their fault. This is why Solomon says, chapter 7, verse 15, in my vain life, again, that's the word for meaninglessness, vapor, in my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. 
And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. It's that it's not always good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. This is, there's this thing called life. And this is why I started talking about Job in the beginning. Because Job was a righteous guy, did a lot of righteous stuff. And yet in his life, he ends up like the blind pedestrian in the crosswalk and the devil's the drunk that runs him over. That's his life. He loses his family. He loses his job. That's his income. He loses his, live, uh, his livestock, like his 401k. He loses his house and his children, his health. He's covered in boils. And the only thing he didn't lose was his wife, and that wasn't such a great blessing as I showed you at the beginning, right? Job's friends, they show up, and at first they try to comfort him just a little bit, and then it switches to this karma mentality and say, well, what did you do wrong? This has to be your fault. What did you do to make this happen? It is a foolish way to look at the world that only our perceived good can be from God. Now, I'm not saying you can't make stupid choices and have bad things end up in your life. But sometimes people will get lung cancer who never smoked a pack of cigarettes in their life. And some people will get diabetes who have a great diet. I have some friends who live in Ohio. They're really nice people. A little odd, but really nice people. But they're, you know, they love to go LARPing where they have fake swords and stab each other with them and stuff like that. But, but they're really nice people. Uh, the, the tornado last week tore off the back part of their house. Is it because they were evil? Not at all. Look at Jesus. Jesus is essentially a homeless, itinerant preacher. And he relied on hospitality for himself and his disciples. Jesus was poor and homeless. Did he do something? wrong? Not at all. And this is why today some American prosperity teachers will come in and they try to turn Jesus into a rich man. No, Jesus was actually rich. You just don't understand because Jesus being poor doesn't fit their worldview. That it's that only good things and we define what is good can come from God. American prosperity theology, I think it is the worst. Are you poor? Well, you did something wrong. Well, I don't think so. You didn't have enough faith. Well, I think I trust Jesus. Well, you're in denial. I don't think I'm in denial. Well, your heart's just hard. It's like Pharaoh. You need to tell me your problems so I can help you. Or maybe you just don't believe at all. Oh, so great. Now I'm also going to hell. That's wonderful. Jesus was betrayed by those closest to him. He was spat upon. He was beaten. He was hung on a cross all for us. The people in that day, they looked at him and thought, well, what did he do to let God have this happen to him? They even sat when Jesus was hanging on the cross. Well, let's see if God rescues him. They're all looking because they have this mentality. And yet all the scriptures, when we understand them, teach that what Jesus did is actually victory. That's the beauty of the scriptures. Some religious traditions are trying to turn what Jesus did on the cross into a failure. Wisdom says we trust God for every day. Not just the ones we think meet our standard for good. We understand that with God, some things that look like a very bad day can actually be the best day of all because of his grace given to us. And Jesus hanging on the cross looks like the worst day ever. But even now today, we celebrate it and we call it Good Friday because it was good for us. So Solomon goes on, verse 16, he says, do not, Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? What he's talking about here in context of all that he said so far is, you don't have to try to be more or different than God created you to be. There are some people today who are so self-important that they make themselves in their own minds more than they know that they actually are. Now, since this is a church, right, let's just deal with this in terms of, like, Christians and stuff. Do you ever meet somebody or know somebody who want to make you believe that they know everything about the Bible and theology? It's like, anytime you say something, they want to Bible-splain it to you because they think you're like an idiot. And they interject themselves into every conversation to make sure you get it right, which is their version of right. This is kind of where Solomon is going. 
going. You don't have to have the answer for everything because you know Jesus and He is the answer. You don't have to be righteous and judgmental about things you don't understand because Jesus is the final judge. We get to be a people who offer grace. And many times, people who think they have to have the answer for everything are those who will go out and they will spend their majority of the time going to Bible studies and reading the Bible and reading theology books, and yet they're the biggest jerks of all. I mean, you ever meet anybody like that? Don't raise your hand, especially if you're sitting next to them. You know, just, it, it doesn't matter how much of the Bible you know if it hasn't changed how we live because the Scriptures are there to teach us who we are and who God is and how to live and walk in relationship with who He is. Here's a question for you. Okay, it's, it's going to be a really simple answer. Why do people say Christians are judgmental? Because Christians, yeah, exactly, Christians are. One guy first service knew the answer to that. Everyone else is like, what? Because Christians are judgmental. Because we can all fall into that trap. And so what we have to do is begin to see it so we can begin to change. We are a people who have mixed faith with politics and morality. And we have this crazy hybrid that doesn't look like the gospel at all. We've got this really high bar of excellence, but it doesn't reflect the scriptures or Jesus. We make all of our stupid human rules. And we elevate those things above Jesus. Uh, the language that we use, the way that we dress. It used to be if you had playing cards in your house or you went to go see movies. Uh, the day I was writing this message, it's kind of funny how this came about. I was talking to this person on the phone. We were at our old facility. She's asking some questions about Element and who we are and things like that. And as I was talking to her, she came up with this whole thing about cell phones. And she goes, we think cell phones are the devil. We put up a sign up at the beginning that tells people shut them off and put them away when service starts. And I go, Oh, that's funny. We tell people to turn them on and download an app and follow along a new version. <laughs> she thought I was the Antichrist. I mean, <laughs> the conversation did not go well after that. Look, I think it is awesome for you guys to read a real Bible with real pages made from dead trees, okay? To know how to, how to look things up so when the solar flare EMP apocalypse hits and it fries all of our gadgets, you still know how to read the Bible. But I think that technology is great, and we should learn how to use it to further the gospel. In verse 18, he says, It's good that you should take hold of this, all that he has said so far, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. This is the idea that we are a people who come to a place where we avoid a lot of extremes. Not an extreme of being extremely loving or extremely grace-filled, but extremely weird, if you know what I mean. Because some people are extremely irreverent. They don't take anything seriously. And Ecclesiastes calls them foolish. They are foolish. Some people think fasting and praying and giving of our income is legalism. And the scriptures call that view foolish because it's not legalism. It's learning how to love God correctly. There's also this other side that comes extremely holy by our own standards and you have to do things my way and if you don't well you're not holy and righteous like me now this is my go-to example i haven't talked about it in a while if you've heard it before just give me some extreme grace Okay, so uh, there are those people uh, in churches today who are so against alcohol that they say the Bible stands against it. And they will take verses like where Jesus turns water into wine. And they will say, oh no, that wine, that actually is pure grape juice because that's the best wine. You obviously never had wine, okay? And, and, but they say, oh, no, in the Greek language, there are words for grape juice and there are words for wine. And, and in this, uh, I at one point personally taught that alcohol was evil and wrong and all this stuff and that the Bible stood against it. And honestly, you cannot actually defend that position in all of it. I, I saw alcohol as a problem in our culture around us, and I thought we need to make sure we preach against this thing. But then I actually read the Bible, and I got convicted. I changed my view, had a beer, mellowed out. Um, <laughs> 
I am not saying, I am not saying you go out drinking every day or anything like that. Um, but the Bible speaks about these festivals that God has, and you have this good food and good wine at these festivals. Now, uh, the Seder meal that we did last year, we had this guy come in, his name was Tuvia. He was raised as a, as a Jew, he becomes a Christian, and he's part of this organization called Jews for Jesus. And he shows up last year at our Seder meal, and he walks up and he says, hey, where's the wine? Now, he says, you know, a lot, not a lot of churches have wine in them, but the first one he did for us was eight years ago. Uh, same Seder meal, and we said, hey, Elman, if you want wine at the Seder meal, I want you to bring some for you and to share and stuff. And you guys brought so much wine that everybody could have had like two bottles that they wanted them. <laughs> Thanks for the generosity, okay? But, but there's some concern through some of the things that we do in some of our events that it could sometimes be too much. So we decide, hey, let's have an event where we don't have any alcohol at it. And so we thought this would be a great event to do that at. Now, Tuvia thought this was really dumb <laughs> because, because he goes, if you're going to have it at anything, it should be at a Seder meal because you had the three cups of blessing and they were cups of wine. I can't win, no matter what I do, right? Either way, I just get it. So we've got to be careful because we can't get rid of everything that offends everybody that people use to sin with. People will abuse food. Do we get rid of food? No, you can't get rid of food. People have abused men and women both. Do we get rid of men and women? No, we can't. Some people worship the earth. Do we get rid of dirt? We can't get rid of dirt. Some people have misused the Bible. So do we get rid of the Bible? Not at all. Solomon says, if we are a people who come at everything in our lives like type A, alphabetize your underwear by manufacturing color, God's going to frustrate you because God is free. God is holy. God is good. And it's not our plan. It's his plan. And we live in tension in our lives between these extremes. Because if you're always just running to some sort of extreme in your life, you'll probably at some point end up in a cult that you started and not even realize it until you're all wearing the same tennis shoes and wearing the same tinfoil hat and drinking the same Kool-Aid. You just won't even realize it until you get there. See, our problems usually come about in our extremes because we always view sin as something that's out there. I don't want it to touch me. We never realize that sin is in our own hearts. And almost no one ever has a problem with being too extremely grace-filled or too extremely loving. Almost nobody has a problem with that because none of us actually do that. And so what Solomon is saying, you can't get rid of all the sin that's out there because then we would have to get rid of ourselves. I think Ecclesiastes is telling us that the gospel is lived out in the real world in normal lives every day through our good and our bad days, no matter what comes our way, trusting God in the midst of them. And so in that, we become normal people. We don't have to be holier than other people in terms of our language. You don't have to speak in King James English. Jesus hung out with people who were messed up. That means we can also hang out with people who are messed up. He offered grace to them in their lives exactly where they were. And this is why Solomon comes back to the idea of wisdom. Verse 19, wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. It's that wisdom leads to character, and character and wisdom lead to influence and power. And if you love God and you have wisdom and are gracious to people, you will have influence. But herein lies our problem. Verse 20, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. We must 
remember that no matter where we are. It's hard for us to live in any type of power and influence because a little power and influence starts to go to our head and we get a little bit nutty. Humbleness is hard. And this is one of the reasons why there are good and bad days in our lives. Many people can start in a place of humbleness and yet will end up in a place where it's gone to their head when they have too many good days because they're like, oh, it's so, look how great I am. All these things are great. Sometimes um, I'm invited to luncheons or speaking engagements and in those there are other religious people there. And maybe I'm being a little judgmental. I try not to be. But I am a guy who I don't think a whole lot of myself. It's like I don't think I'm the greatest thing in the world. I'm not impressed with me. I think anybody with the title pastor has to see it as a privilege and not a right where there's power behind it, right? So I show up to a lot of these things, and I'm like, hi, I'm Aaron. And almost everybody I meet is like, oh, I'm Deacon so-and-so. I'm Pastor so-and-so. I'm Reverend so-and-so. There's this one guy who's very impressed with himself, and he's like, I'm Bishop so-and-so. And I said, oh, I have a friend whose son's name is Bishop. Why'd your mom name you that? Did not think it was funny. <laughs> Most people at these things do not think I'm funny, by the way. Okay, so, I think I am. I do not like pretension. I, I don't like it at all. And I think true wisdom brings humbleness because true wisdom is what focuses upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is him who has rescued us. We need his grace. And it's, we're saved not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done. I was once in a church when we were back east where the pastor had this God complex and they made all these rules to maintain their power. And if you've ever been in a church or a ministry or a school or a job or someone like that got into power, you're probably a little distrustful of people around you. You might always be recovering just a little bit. I mean, maybe you've been in a place and every time you see a King James Bible, you break out in like hives and shakes because you don't know what to do with it. Let me tell you about Element, okay, and me. Uh, My name is not Jesus. Uh, my mom is not Mary. No one has it all dialed in. And if, I, if they think they do or say that they do, I think you need to run. We really do. Because God places us into community with other people who are on this journey called Christianity of loving him as he has rescued us. We do this alongside one another, living out God's grace. And that is the only way life is ever going to make sense And also what I'm saying, if you have ever been in a church or a place where you've been hurt by someone who claimed to be a follower of Jesus, that was not Jesus hurting you. It was not Jesus hurting you. I'm also saying that we must always be careful because we can all in the end go that way if we don't have a clear understanding of what the gospel is and what Jesus did to rescue us. If we don't understand our need for rescue and understanding this in the midst of our good and bad days and that God himself is the one who is sovereign. True wisdom is found in those who have surrendered their lives to the saving grace of God throughout our good and our bad days. We are a people, we have all fallen short. We have all run from God. We have all thought that we would do it better if we were God and could make all the decisions. And this is why God must come to us in our brokenness, in the state that we are, and rescue us. God is, as I said, good. People who think they have to fix this world all by themselves on their own power are never going to come to the place where they trust in the grace of Christ. It is why many times in the world's day, Christianity gets ridiculed by those who don't understand it because they don't understand this need for grace. They think many times it just sounds stupid. This is why Paul says, 1 Corinthians 3, 18 and 19, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. And so we all have to admit that every single one of us is in varying degrees foolish and we need wisdom. And this is why we trust him in the midst of our good and our bad days. We trust him to lead us into the only good extremes, which are extremely loving him well and extremely loving one another and extreme grace. 
not the extremes of our own personal holiness. It's the extreme of trusting him for what he did to rescue us. And when we do that and we admit that, it's going to help us to forgive others, to offer other people around us grace, to be able to live in the wisdom that Solomon speaks about that there is more to our lives than what is just under the sun. And this is what I told you last week to close the message out. And I'm going to tell you again that this is the rub in our world, that people want joy. But there is no joy without wisdom, and there is no true wisdom without Jesus. And there is no Jesus without our rescue, without our repentance from our folly. And that's the beauty of the gospel, that Jesus has come to rescue us exactly where we are, You don't have to be cleaned up to go before God. Jesus rescues us exactly where we are. And when we need wisdom, which is all the time, we are supposed to ask him in every circumstance and place that we are. Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 says, when you ask him, he will provide you wisdom. We simply need to listen to what he says. And this means in his wisdom, we can navigate through this life to taste joy. We don't have to sit like foolish people like Job's wife or Job's friends. We are people who can truly learn to embrace wisdom throughout our good and our bad days, whatever they are, whatever comes our way, whatever we don't understand. We can trust him in the midst of every single day because he is sovereign and because he is good. Because this is one of the reasons at Element we're always trying to bring you guys to the place of communion. It's a place where you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. So it reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and me. That all that we had in our lives that separated us from relationship with God, Jesus takes care of. That's the beauty of the gospel, Jesus' rescue of us. And when we come to the place where we understand that we needed that rescue, that's the time where we can become a humble people. We begin to live out lives that trust him for who he is and what he continues to do. And this is why we invite you every week to come to the place of communion, to lay down your pride, lay down all of your own self-righteousness at the foot of the cross and trust Jesus to bring you into relationship with him because of his grace and what he has done. The band's going to come up. As they do, I'm going to invite you to take communion, like I said. There's going to be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer today, maybe maybe you're, you're in a place where you have that karma mentality of the scriptures and the world around you, and it's like good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, not realizing that we are all, in the end, bad people, and we all need rescue, and it's Jesus is the one that rescues us. They would love to pray with you about that. If you, are, if you are somebody who wants to just understand the grace of Jesus a little bit better and you want to pray with somebody about that, they would love to pray with you. If you are going through a very bad day and you want someone to pray with you about that, they would love to pray with you about that. And if you're going through a great time and a great day, tell us all because we all like to hear about it when it's happening, right? We trust God through every single one of our days and we share it with people around us in gospel-centered community because God is good. There are offering boxes next to every door, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. We do not pass a plate. It's a response to what God has done. And there's some snacks outside. I encourage you to grab some sermon notes this week. Maybe go out with some people and talk through some of those things. Like, where are the places in your life where you kind of get that karma mentality? Maybe something's going really wrong in your life right now, and you're thinking, what did I do wrong? What did I do to bring this about? And you might have made some decisions to bring that about. But that's not always the case. But what is always the case is that we must trust God in the midst of all of these things. If we ever hope to learn and live in wisdom through these. Let's be a people who worship him through all the good and bad days. Because that is going to show the world around us the great God that loves us, that has rescued us, and the God that we serve. And again, he is good.
Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us as a people how to live out in true wisdom, trusting you in the midst of our good and our bad days. God, I ask that you would really teach us in the midst of of those good times that we would take a moment and think about your graciousness that has provided this joy that we get to have in those moments and that we would worship you and simply be undone by the goodness of that. And in the midst of bad times that come into our lives, I ask that you would teach us to worship you in the midst of those times, that you promise to walk with us through those things. It's like David says, he walks that valley of the shadow of death, but you are with him. Just like you promised to always be with us. So teach us to walk through days, good and bad, with you, trusting you, and simply being able to be who you made us to be. That we would live honest lives of real faith, being honest about our failures and being honest about your great rescue of who we are. God, teach us to walk with you and love you through all of these things because we understand your great love first given to us. Jesus, to worship you with all that we are in every circumstance. Teach us to be those who live in this world as your children, dearly loved, where we would be able to become imitators of you because of your strength given to us. We love you for the grace and hope that you have provided. Teach us to trust you in the midst of all of our days. And we ask this in your son's good name. Amen.